I want to elevate who you are. You know, for the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about who we are in Christ. And for those of you that are with us for the first time and don't know, three main things that we focus on at RLC that we need to know in order, in order to be successful in Christ is we need to know who our Father is, and that's not who religion has made Him out to be. And we need to know, most certainly, His great love that He has for us. But we also must know who we are in Him. For each of us are more than what we have yet to become. And, you know, the Bible says this of us, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's Psalms 139. And in the Passion Translation, it words it this way. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelously breathtaking. You are not trash. You're not created to dishonor. But you've been created by God Almighty as a vessel to honor. Amen? Life may have treated you like trash. People may have treated you like trash. But God has never, ever, not one time, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've hung out with, God has never changed his opinion of you. He has wooed you. He has whispered to you. And he has told you you are more than that so that you could become who he created you to be one scholar said these words many years ago he said if we with our mortal eyes could behold one moment after what we call death a saint who's gone on to heaven we would behold a creature of such illumination and glory and goodness that to bow down would come instinctively we'd want to worship what God has made us to be. That's why the Bible says that we're supposed to know each other according to the spirit and not according to the flesh, because we often define ourselves by what we see. And, and, and if we can keep it real for just a moment, most saints define themselves by moments of pain, tragedy, or sorrow. This is why I find so detestable the old saying, well, I'm just a saint, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I borderline hate that statement. And the reason being is this, it's not biblical. It's actually anti-Christ. Because it's not the Christian. Follow me. Because if I'm a saint, then there's a barrier of blood between me and sin. So how can I define myself by sin that I've been separated from by the blood of Jesus Christ? If he be my healer, then between me and that disease are stripes that were laid upon his back. If he be my provider, then the cross itself stands between me and poverty. See, so the whole task that God has given us is to redefine ourselves, not according to what we've been through, but according to his original plan. So we are to define ourselves, hear me when I say this, not by pain and sorrow and moments of tragedy or trauma, because you realize all of those things came by sin 
So if we define ourselves by that moment in our life where we knew the tragedy that's almost unspeakable, then we as children of God are still defining ourselves by sin. Follow me. Once again, it's not to belittle what you went through. We all know that life is tragic and we've all been through things. I know you could share stories with me that bring tears to my eyes. But trust me when I tell you, I could tell you things about myself that make you cry. But I don't define myself by those things anymore. We define ourselves by the word of the living God. We define ourselves by what he has spoken over us. And I'm not what I went through. I'm what he has called me. Right? And so God wants us to redefine ourselves according to promise. Everyone say promise. You see, if we define ourselves by sin or its effects, meaning the sickness, the disease, the tragedy, or any of these other things, then we're continuing to define ourselves by a sin-caused event, and we'll never become a partaker of His divine nature. Because the Bible says quite clearly it's by His promises that we become partakers of His divine nature. So I've got to define myself according to the promises of God. Not everyone's going to understand that when I define myself not by where I come from. I don't define myself by what I look like. I don't define myself by my skin color or my gender or what my parents did or didn't do. You following me? I define myself by what the Bible says about the born again, recreated in his image species known as the Christian. So I define myself by the promises of God so that I can become a partaker of his divine nature. I define myself by the potential he's placed within me. This is why I I would rather talk about my dreams than my tragedies. I'd rather talk about what's coming than what happened. I'd rather talk about the glory of the latter house rather than the, the breaking down of the former house. So promise, potential, and power. Never define yourself as unable or weak. Never define yourself as incapable. Because the Bible says all things are possible to them that what? So if you declare something to be impossible, what you're saying in effect is I don't believe. But if you believe, then for you, the impossible not only becomes possible, but probable. Right. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So the title of this morning's message and all of that didn't count because none of that was actual preaching. The title of this morning's message is destined for dignity. Destined for dignity. And before we get started, I got to tell you how this started. This message, I've been preaching it since our first days in Poland, because when we first arrived in Poland, Rick Renner was at our house one time and. He told me, and I, once again, I chose to receive it as a compliment. He said, I don't know anyone that's done this the way you did it. Because we went to a land that didn't invite us. Nobody knew us. Nobody was there to meet us at the airport. Didn't know the language. We do squat diddly nothing. The Lord just said, Warsaw, Poland's your new home. So we bought airplane tickets. Ignorance can be a great thing. <laughs> and so we showed up and we're like every step of the way. God, now what? Because we didn't know when we got to the airport, we didn't know what to do. And so God guided us step by step and he led us. But that doesn't mean it was easy. Not every day was glorious. Sometimes we'd spend 12 hours finding milk. 
And then there, I remember a day I was sitting in my international ministry headquarters, a.k.a. the spare bedroom. And I was sitting down at my computer writing out a Bible lesson that no one would ever read but me. And my wife walked in and she said, love, what are we doing here? And I, in a very profound and wise way, said, I'm writing out a Bible lesson. And she, in an even wiser and profounder way, said, couldn't you have done that in Tulsa? <laughs> for which I had no rebuttal. I didn't know what we were there for. Nobody was inviting me. Nobody even knew we were there. And to be honest with you, nobody cared. But I decided, not knowing what else to do, to pray for everybody that came within my vicinity. I couldn't witness to them because I didn't know how to say anything in Polish. But I would pray for them. And there was a group of people living in Poland. In, in, so you'll, there were places in Poland that had unemployment rate of 90% and above. Some villages, it was reported, 100% unemployment. Nobody had a job. And professionals were making $200 a month. And gas back then was costing us $6 a gallon. And so it was a wonder that anyone made it. But there was a whole group of people that couldn't make it when communism caved in and capitalism was taking root. And these people became the lepers of the culture. They lived on the street and they lived on alcohol. And very often their faces would be deformed. And, and I never understood why they looked like a boxer that lost every fight they'd ever had until it was explained to me by a Polish pastor that very, they would get so intoxicated they'd fall flat on their face and never try to break their fall. And so when you do that night after night, several times a night, your face becomes swollen, your nose will get misshapen, and you just look bad. And then there was also a, an aroma, a sweet fragrance about them. And the only way to describe it was it was a beautiful mixture of body odor, urine, and vomit. Because that's what they would be bathed in. So they were pariahs. Nobody wanted to be around them. And then one day I was on the tram and standing there holding the rail. And I could see as if it was the a time of Moses and the sea was separating. The people just literally did this. And this man came stumbling through the middle. Like I said, nobody wanted to get near him. And I looked at this man, and on the inside, I heard that gentle voice say, pray for the restoration of his dignity. And so I prayed. I, I, I never heard that. Before. I prayed, Father, restore his dignity. And I just began to pray earnestly for the restoration of this man's dignity, not having a clue what I was praying. And when I was done, that same small voice said, thank you. No one in his entire life has ever said a prayer for him. And the, I want to say this, church, your prayers mean something. Because there are people walking in Greenville that have never had anyone in their whole lives beseech God on their behalf. You and I need to pray. And if someone comes to your mind, don't debate it. Pray for them because you may be the only one that's ever beseeched God on their behalf. And John Wesley said, it seems as if God would do nothing unless his people pray. So if you and I pray for that one person whom no one else has ever prayed for, what could God do? Well, wandering minds want to know when I got home, I had to know what it was I prayed. Because I understand if the Lord says pray for him to get saved. Pray for him to get healed. I had never heard the Lord say, pray for the restoration of his dignity. 
until I looked up, and I'm wandering a little bit. Y'all bear with me. Y'all know like this, that all of my favorite authors are dead. And my favorite dictionary, and I love words, I love dictionaries, I like a pre-1920 dictionary. Because in 1920, the scholastic academies decided to separate our language from our heritage. And they began to change the definitions of words so they didn't have a biblical background. If you look at a 1919 dictionary and you look up the word righteous, it'll say right standing with God. You look up one in 1921 and it'll say the state of being right. They changed the language. You know why they changed the words? Because if they can change the definition of words, they can alter a culture. There was a time being gay meant to be happy. They stole the word. Now, to be a patriot means you're hateful, you're prejudiced, right? They change the words. They change the words because they're trying to alter the culture. So I like looking up what words mean. And so when I looked up the word dignity, it meant in the pre-1920 dictionary, listen to me, it meant connected to deity. Because to this day, a dignitary is someone that represents a head of state. Well, once upon a time, kings and queens and monarchs were either considered deity or were considered appointed by deity. So if you went somewhere representing that monarch, you were representing deity, which is why you were called a dignitary. So when God said, pray for the restoration of his dignity, what he was saying is, give me a channel through which I can reconnect with him so that I can restore. Because see, this is the damnable thing about sin is it makes you more of a beast than it does a man. Right? And sin will systematically strip you of your dignity. You'll pretty soon you'll speak in a way even you don't like. You'll yes. use words that after you, they, they, at first when you say them, they defile you. You know you shouldn't talk like that. You'll dress in a way that doesn't reveal deity or dignity. But when we're reconnected with God, he cleanses us and he changes us because we're reconnected. So pretty soon we're behaving in a dignified manner. We speak in a dignified manner. We dress in a dignified manner. Not because it's about rules and regulations or fake holiness. It's about the fact that I'm a dignitary and I'm connected to deity and he's making me more like him. So destined for dignity. To be destined means to be preordained. Before we ever messed up, God prophesied that we would be people of dignity. Dignity is both in our present and in our future. Like I said, a moment after you die, you'll blow your own mind. I don't know if there's heavens and mirrors in heaven, but if there is, you're going to walk by them and go, ooh. My wife keeps saying I'll have a bouffant hairdo, so when I walk by my mirror in heaven, I'll go. You'll say, Pastor, is that you? And I'll say, Behold. But we are all, listen, the reason I want you to know God's opinion of you, because I'm convinced that if the children of God would know the opinion of God about them, most of us will strive to live up to his opinion of us. The reason why so many of us live so far below what he's called us is because we've allowed others to tell us what a Christian is. 
A Christian is impoverished. A Christian is sick. A Christian has nothing because through our lack we prove our devotion. And so we live a low-level life thinking that somehow our lack of resources and our lack of ability and our lack of joy and our abundance of sorrow proves our devotion to him. And that's just not the case. We've got to allow God to redefine our lives. So if we'll know this is what God ordained us to, then nothing made of man or demon or devil is going to stop me from becoming what God has called me to be. It doesn't matter what titles they have. It doesn't matter what pulpits they stand behind. If this is what God says Jimmy can do, then bless the Lord, Jimmy going to do it. And you will too because we all we want to do is please the Lord. And God wants you to be the image he has of you. So go with me, if you would, to the book of Psalms. And I know we read this last week. And I'll try to hurry up. But I want you to hear Psalms chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. A psalm of David to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have, thought, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Verse 5, listen to this. Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them. You gave them. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. See, this is what when people tell me they don't have what it takes to change. You liar. You have it. And I think most of us know what God called us to do. We've known it since we were children. When I was a child, I dreamed of being an educator. That's exactly what I am. That's all I am. I just stand up and say what the Bible says. I try to educate people according to who they are. To peel back the layers of deception and say, listen, this is who you really are. Those who told you you were unwanted and unloved and unappreciated. Those who told you you had no place in society, no destiny. They, at best, they didn't know you. And at worst, they were agents of the enemy. You're, you are loved. You are wanted. You are needed. You are anointed. God has given you glory. God has given you majesty. God gave you a destiny. God gave you a task. He wants to richly bestow all things upon you. So that you can enjoy life and tell others about the goodness of God. Everyone say, I will redefine myself according to his word. You're not who they said you were. Don't live up according to their label. Live according to his word. Amen. Let's keep reading. You made them a little lower than God. You crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims in the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, 
how majestic your majestic name fills the earth. To understand who we are, and I've told you this before, if we're going to understand redemption, we have to understand creation because the redemptive package is just not a get-out-of-hell-free card. If we've been taught that all redemption is is a way to get out of hell, then you weren't taught redemption. God just, listen, that, that's the entry point. God saved you from sin so that you could become who he called you to be. You ever wondered this? If it was all about getting to heaven, then why didn't you die one second after you gave your life to the Lord? I mean, of course, we'd have a whole bunch of empty churches and nobody would want to go to the altar and get saved because as soon as you get saved, you're dead. But the fact that you are still here and God yearns, listen to me, God yearns for you to be near him. God anticipates the day when you'll see each other face to face. He longs for that, yet he's willing in his great love to leave you here. Why? Because he's got something for you to do. He's got something for you to become. It's better for the earth that you're here than it is for you to be there. Because if you're there, what you were called to do here, you'll never get to do. So every day when you wake up, it's about increase. Every day when you wake up, it's about becoming what God called you to be. Every day when you wake up, you ought to have the determination. At the end of this day, I will be more like him than when this day began. At the end of this day, I will know my dream better than I when the day began. We never give ourselves to idle people, nor idle talk, nor idle time. We're too busy being about the Father's business and that's for all of us one of the greatest tragedies in the church is we thought that the work of the ministry was done by the fivefold well i ain't apostle i ain't a prophet i'm not a pastor or a teacher so i guess i got nothing to do (laughs) no the work of the ministry is for the body of christ You're just as anointed as that mighty prophet. You might operate differently. God might have you in the business world, but the gifts of the Spirit will flow through you just the same. You following me? In the church, we we talk about destiny, and we talk about things, and we see wolves when they come in to hurt the sheep. But when you're in the boardroom, you'll understand who to do business with. If you're in the place where you got to hire someone, you'll know, nope, that guy's a fool. I ain't hiring him because the gifts of the Spirit will manifest through you to do the same thing in a different, no matter what field he puts you in, the gifts of the Spirit are there, and you're anointed to do it. Listen, you're, if you're a plumber, you're not less than a prophet. Trust me, if you're a plumber and, and someone's toilet stopped up, they need you more than they need a prophet. I could have said something right there, but I'm in choice. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. A dignitary is someone who possesses exalted rank. We need to understand who we are so that we quit living life with a false sense of identity. Right? And if somebody, listen, if somebody ever says to you when you're talking about promise and you're talking about power and you're talking about potential and they, they speak to you in a disdainful manner, well, who do you think you are? Tell them. Mm-hmm. Tell them. Don't try to appease them mm-hmm. because not everyone's going to rejoice in the blessings of God. Not everyone believes. The religious people will rant and rave and rage against it. But if they say, who do you think you are? Tell them I'm a child of the living God. 
the Holy Spirit's within me. The Bible says I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. Do you really want to know who I am? Let's go to the book of Romans. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Let's go anywhere in the Bible and I'll show you, bro, who I am. Right? The worst thing we can do is see ourselves in the perfect law of liberty. This is in the book of James. See who we are and then go out into the world and forget who we are and act like we're mere mortals. When they say it's impossible, we join in with them. And when they talk about how bad everything is, we join in with them. Why not march to the beat of a different drummer? Hmm? And when they're talking about how bad it is, talk about how glorious it is. When they're talking about how sin is ruining everything, talk about the grace of God overwhelming the land. Because where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. We ought to be more focused on kingdom things than cardinal things. And eternity ought to be more real to us than the temporary. Is this okay? Listen, see, you and I, if we know who we are, we don't become discouraged by momentary setbacks. The Bible says he set eternity in our hearts so that we could see things from an eternal perspective. So, see, when I'm walking through a moment of pain, I'm not defined by the pain. Psalms 23, is this okay this morning? I'm chasing a whole bunch of rabbits, but Lewis is the one that prophesied it all those years ago. So if you get tr- if you upset with me chasing rabbits, go to him. He's the tallest guy in the place. You can find him when everyone stands up and say, you're the reason why, Pastor, don't stay on track. Yay. Though I walk through. I'm not created for. See, there will be times when we walk through the valley shadowed by death but you got to understand i'm not created for this low place i'm walking through this low place but i ain't created for this low place because there will come a day when i will emerge out of this place because when i'm going through the valley baby i just keep on walking i put one foot in front of the other and i keep moving forward i don't see daybreak yet but i know as long as i keep moving keep trusting and defining myself by promise power and potential there's gonna come a day when i emerge out of the shadowy place and i'm standing in the glory of the living god and everyone will look on with wonder and say how did you make it i kept at it i kept moving i kept on going i kept trucking Y'all following me? Why? Because I'm not created for the low place. I'm not created to be trash. I'm not created to lack dignity. I'm created for nice things. Right there, religious people get all upset. It doesn't mean I covet them. I don't have to covet what God has granted. (laughs) See, I covet when I want what's not mine. But if God granted it, then it's mine. Uh, Now, see, I lost you all right there. I'm going to say it again. See, there was a woman one time that went to her pastor and told her pastor that God had given her a revelation that Kenneth Copeland was her husband and married Gloria by mistake. And this imbecile called the pastor said, well, let's hold a wedding. (laughs) Instead of just telling the woman, go home and pray in the Holy Ghost, and get out of your illusion. See, it's covetness when I want someone else's wife because that's not the wife God gave me. But when I go home and I look at this woman and I go, yo, baby. (laughs) And my chest hairs flutter. (laughs) 
Listen, just because I ain't got none up here don't mean I got some on my chest. You might have more, but mine move. That ain't covetousness because that's my wife. That's the one God gave me. And so can I keep it real? I can lust for her all day long. Why do you think I dress like this? I'm dressing like this for you. Yo, baby. But if I'm trying to do that for another man's wife, that's covetousness. So when I talk about what God has given me, don't accuse me of covetousness. Because I'm not wanting yours. I'm wanting what he's ordained for me. And he promised he would fill my house with good and godly things. He promised wealth. He promised health. He promised revelation and insight. He said I would be so anointed that I could lay my hands on the sick and that they would recover. He said I could know his voice. He said I could have good things all the days of my life and I should have an absolute abundance. So don't tell me I'm being covetous when all I want is what God has ordained. Amen. So listen, what I'm telling you is this. Never allow people who don't know God and don't know his word to set the boundaries of your life. Never allow their judgments, their suppositions or their opinions to define you. Break break the boundaries. Go beyond what they say is normal, because what they call normal is absolutely abnormal. And what what they call abnormal for you and I is normal. It's normal to have more than enough. It's abnormal to hit the end of the month and wonder where you and your children are going to live. Do you think that's, the, that's, that's, that's God's ordination? What kind of loving parent would want his children to live out in the street? I mean, we just, Eddie, do you want your girl to live in the street someday? Nick, do you want your beautiful baby to go without food? Are you better than God? Of course not. So do you think God ever wants you to have lack? No, No, that's not the will of God. God's a good parent. Psalm 119 says you are good and you do good. David said, if I had not believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired. But I believe, do you believe? I believe that I will see the goodness of God in the life of Jimmy. I believe that the goodness of God will manifest in the Miller house so that woman never has to wonder what tomorrow we're going to eat. That that woman never has to wonder when she turns the light switch, is it going to come on? Not because, listen, we both know what I'm capable of. Been there, done that, don't want to go back. But I want to see what God's capable of. And to know and, and not be ashamed. Is this okay? I only got seven minutes. Oh, my word. (laughs) Y'all believe in miracles? (laughs) Because it'll take a miracle to get through with this before the chicken gets dry. Genesis 126. Then God said. Everyone say God said. God said this. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God said this. Image means representation. A mirror represents you. You understand? When you look in the mirror, that's a representation. It looks just like you. 
because it represents you. God said, let them represent us. Meaning that when you look at them, they're going to look a lot like us. This is Psalm 8. It's what he, you crowned them with glory. Why do you think Adam and Eve did not know they were naked until after they rebelled? Because there was so much light illuminating out of them, they never saw their nakedness. That's who you are. Likeness means physical appearance. John chapter 14, verse 8. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you've not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me, he who has seen me, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Because Jesus came as the second Adam. Hmm? So Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen him because I'm just like him. I'm his representation. I'm the fullness of his image. I'm the fullness of the invisible God in a visible world. Even as he is, so are we in this world. Oh, man, when you and I wake up to who we are. I mean, when we quit waking up in the morning afraid of life. And we wake up in the morning realizing God is for us. God is in us. God is with us. That there's nothing impossible. That when I open up the door, I'm expecting to see more than an Amazon package. I'm expecting to see goodness and mercy and kindness and loving affection. Oh, my word. When I can't wait to sling those legs off that bed because God's going to do something extraordinary today. When that becomes our mindset, world, look out. Because those who turn the world upside down are coming your way. You and I, listen, what Jesus was was a trailer of things to come. You and I are the things to come. We're supposed to do the works of the kingdom in our lifetime. Mm. But you'll never do that defining yourself according to sin. Well, pastor, I'm this. Pastor, I'm that. Now, that maybe is what you were. But my question is, do you love Jesus? Yes. Have you given your life to him? Yes. Is he your savior? Yes. Then quit defining yourself by those old things. Behold, they dead. I don't know about you, but when I bury something, I don't go looking at digging it up. Who wants to see a nasty old carcass? It's rotting. It's decayed, it smells, and you go, look it, that's me. No. Mm. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. Can I, I'll hurry up. All that Jesus was is what man was created to be. Selah. I'm going to let that marinate for a little bit. All that Jesus was is what man was created to be. Jesus is God's idea of what man was and is meant to be. All that Jesus was, we are through him. Hmm. As I said, I'm convinced most people will come to the level of God's fa- uh, the Father's purpose if they only know it's possible.
We were not created for misery, but for joy. We were not created for defeat, but victory. We were not created for ashes, but for beauty. And we were not created as the devil's plaything, but as God's partner. Mm-mm-mm. Each, listen, each of us, I already said this, each of us will walk through the valley of death, but we're not created for that low place. We were created for high places. The Bible says seated with Christ. That's a high place. Reigning with Christ. That's a high place. Living in Christ. That's a high place. Christianity is not a faith focused on a cross. Christianity is a faith focused on a resurrection. Our emblem is an empty tomb. What do you mean by that? I'm saying we don't, listen, we were created for life. Our Redeemer is not dead. Our Redeemer has risen. Our focus is the resurrection. And it's the resurrected life being lived through us that makes all things possible. Is this okay this morning? Our Savior is a champion. And even as he is, so are we. Hmm. I wonder if Jesus is a whiner. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus is a complainer. Even as he is, so are we. So if Jesus is a winner, not a whiner, then that makes me a winner, not a if Jesus is a champion and not a victim, then that makes me a champion and not a. <laughs> I'm preaching so well, my toes are getting happy. For it is written, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became the life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual didn't come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is the Lord Jehovah from the realm of heaven. The first one made from dust has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. This is Bible. <laughs> the, the first one has a race of people just like him. But the second one has a race of people just like him. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Once we carried the likeness of the man of dust. But now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven. Everyone say, I am destined for dignity. Can you give me a few more moments? Ecclesiastes. No, let's skip that. No, let's read that. Ecclesiastes 3.11. Everything is appropriate in its own time. But though God has planted eternity in the hearts of men, even so many cannot see the whole scope of God's work from the beginning to end. In order for man to communicate with God, he had to see like God, think like God, and understand like God. God is eternal. He works for eternal projects. He sees things with eternal eyes. When you and I understand that God is doing an eternal weight, 
of glory, working out an eternal weight of glory in our lives. We don't become discouraged or despondent because of momentary discomfort. Because we know I'm not created for this, I'm created for that. Defeat is a mirage. It's not real. It's only an illusion. I'm going to hurry up and read these last few, and then we'll close. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, You see, every child of God overcomes the world. I wish we really believed the word. I really do. And I'm talking about myself. Because we all sometimes forget who we really are and who he really is. Every child of God overcomes the world. For our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. Psalm 21, verses 4 through 6. He wanted resurrection. Speaking of King David, you have given it to him and more. The days of his blessing stretch on one after another forever. Do you know how many days God wants to bless you? Now and forever. You have honored him and made him famous. Glory garments are upon him, and you surround him with splendor and majesty. Your victory heaps blessing after blessing upon him. What a joy and bliss he tastes rejoicing before your face. Acts 17, verse 28, it is through him that we live and function and have our identity. Just as your own poets have said, our lineage comes from him. I got four more statements and then we'll go. Never allow anyone or anything to strip you of your dignity. Don't allow tragedy to define you. Don't allow pain to confine you. You were created for dignity. Your destiny is dignity. And as a dignitary, you lack nothing that the one you serve has. So if God has it, it's yours. Y'all remember the story of the prodigal son? I, I, I just lied in church. Because I said only four things, but I'm going to chase another rabbit. It just went running by. Do y'all see it? It's a plump one. Fluffy little creature. In the story of the prodigal son, there's two sons. The story is actually the story of the father. But the second son got upset of the grace of the father shown upon the first son. And the second son said, I never left church. I cleaned all the toilets. I set up every Sunday. I did everything you told me to do, and yet you have never blessed me not one time. I've never known the thrill of a party. I've never heard Casey and the Sunshine Band sing at my birthday. And the father would say to us, as he said to the prodigal son, Oh, don't shake your head like you've never listened to Casey and the Sunshine Band. I, I've been, I know you. And I know you got them shoes. The older son said, I've never had any of these things. And this is what the father said to him this whole time. It's been yours. You could have had anything you wanted at any time. It was all yours all the time. But you let a religious definition of who I was make you think that you're a servant, not a son. And as a son, you could have come in from the field at any time and had anything you wanted because if it's mine, it's yours. You serve, but you're not a servant. 
Keep that in mind as you serve one another. You serve people, but you're nobody's servant. I got to say that again, because some of you have been treated like a maid. You serve people out of love, but you ain't nobody's servant. And you serve the king, but you're not even really God's servant. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. And we serve him from a place of love, not a place of obligation. I'm not trying to earn his love by the service I render. I serve him because he has been so good to me that to not serve him would be dishonorable. How can I not serve someone that has loved me so wonderfully and given to me so graciously that I serve you from a heart of love? And baby, that's pure service. Never allow yourself to live life as if you were anything other than a dignitary. Circumstances will conspire against you, but God causes all things to work together for you. Your enemies will demean, devalue, and insult you, but they do not control you, and their words mean nothing to you. When you are tempted to submit to the circumstances and victory seems a pipe dream, remember your dignity. You are a direct descendant of Elohim. You are a direct descendant of Jehovah. Yahweh, Adonai, the God Almighty, the one. You were and are destined for dignity. Stand to your feet this morning. Go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise.